0: Welcome to the Robert J. Morgan Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you believe and cherish the Bible and to learn and love Christian history and hymnody. I'm producer Joshua Rowe, introducing your host, Robert J. Morgan. Be sure to visit robertjmorgan.com where you'll find Rob's blog posts, podcast feed, bookstore, free resources, and more. If you've not already, be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review. Now, here's your host, Robert J. Morgan. Welcome to our Bible Study Podcast and to our series, More Than Wonderful A Study of Psalm 139. We'll get to that in just a moment. But first, in today's podcast, I'm going to refer to one of my books you may not know about. It's called Mastering Life Before It's Too Late. And I wrote it some years ago, but it's still available in paperback from your favorite book distributor or from my website, robertjmorgan.com. In this book, I suggest 10 workable routines for aligning your daily agenda with God's perfect will. I try to explain the godly rhythms of productive people and set forth some lifelong habits that will help you gain control of yourself take charge of each day and finish your life's work so check it out mastering life before it's too late well as we get started today let me tell you about another book one that i've just finished reading which was published by tyndall house It's called Believing is Seeing by Dr. Michael Gillen. I found this book so readable and so fascinating that I went through it in two days, and I want to use it to introduce this episode of our series, More Than Wonderful, on the 139th Psalm. Michael Gillen was born in East Los Angeles and grew up in the Barrio, as he says. He is five-eighths Mexican, two-eighths Spanish-Cuban, and one-eighth, Austrian. He was raised in a Pentecostal church, but the Pentecostalism never took. He never accepted it. He knew by the second grade that he wanted to become a scientist, and at UCLA, he earned a bachelor's degree in physics and mathematics. From there, he went to Cornell University, where he left behind all of the vestiges of Christianity and plunged into science as an atheist. He lived in the classroom and in the laboratory. He had few friends and no interest in anything except science. Here, his fascination with astronomy and the galaxies took over his mind, and he earned a PhD in physics and in mathematics and in astronomy. It was a 3D doctorate. From there, he enrolled in Harvard. While driving to Cambridge for his ongoing studies, he stopped in Washington, D.C. for an event at the Museum of Natural History. And there he bumped into the CBS broadcaster, Fred Graham. Graham asked him a scientific question, and Gillen answered it so simply that Graham recruited him to be a CBS science and technology correspondent. And he served in this role for some time later. He became the science editor for ABC News. Maybe you've seen him on television. Gillum split his time during those days between his research at Harvard and his work on television, where he won three Emmy awards for his journalism. But something was happening to him. The more Gillum studied the extent and the complexity of the universe, the more he began to doubt his hardcore atheism. He kept asking himself how it all really came to be. He began wondering if there was a better answer for the origin of all things than the prevailing hypotheses of the atheistic scientist. Dr. Gillam began to investigate various philosophies and religions, including Buddhism, Chinese mysticism, Islam, and transcendental meditation. And then he met a girl who was to become his wife her name was laurel and she had the same existential questions that he did one day she asked him have you ever actually read the bible he said no she said i've never read the bible either if you read it i'll read it with you over the next two years michael and lauren read through the bible cover to cover He said, the New Testament captivated me as no other sacred literature had ever done. Still, it wasn't enough, he said, to put a dent in my atheism. But that began to change as Gillen learned more and more about science and the universe. The scientific facts didn't make sense without a worldview that accommodated them. And atheism, he was learning, came up far short. Finally, he came to an inescapable conclusion. He wrote, The Christian Worldview Best Answers All My Questions and Best Squares with the Scientific Worldview. He realized, as he said, that it's easy to be both a scientist and a Christian. And so Dr. Gillen and his wife yielded their lives to the Lord Jesus, but he didn't make the decision public. He was concerned about the reaction. One day he was on ABC's Good Morning America, being interviewed by Charlie Gibson. The countdown clock for the segment was down to just a few seconds, and Charlie asked Michael if a particular recent scientific event had bothered him. Gillen said, it worries me not just as a scientist, but as a scientist who happens to believe in God. He couldn't believe that he had just said those words on national television, but the response was overwhelmingly positive. Well, all of that brings us to Psalm 139. When the remains of the Titanic were discovered, ABC sent Dr. Gillen to cover the story. Now, Gillen had never learned to swim and he was terrified by the water. But he had no choice but to squeeze into a tiny Russian-made submarine-like capsule and go to the very bottom of the Atlantic Ocean. He found himself lying flat on his stomach in this tiny sub, peering through a window and suddenly he saw rivets, and he realized he was face-to-face with the famous doomed ship. He began to cry when he saw it, and during the next hour or so, the pilot of the sub took Gillen on a tour of the remains of the Titanic. And then there was a problem. The sub became caught in a fast-moving deep underwater current which slammed it into the Titanic's propeller. The submarine got caught. Minutes passed, and Gillen fought the panic that was overtaking him. He knew they had limited oxygen and no way to get help from above. As the pilot of the sub fought to free the vessel from the propeller, a heavy crushing depression and sadness came over Gillen, and he thought about how he would likely perish, just like the remains of all the victims of the tragedy of the Titanic just on the other side of the window. He was terrified, and then he remembered the Lord, and he thought about his Savior, and he later wrote, something happened that is difficult to describe. The feel of the sub's interior space abruptly changed somehow. It was as if an invisible presence had entered it. At the same time, an uncanny and unheralded sensation of peace washed over me. Well, within a few minutes, the submarine's captain managed to free the little capsule, and Dr. Gillen lived to tell the story on the air. He later said, a few months later, Laurel and I were reading the Bible when we came across these words in Psalm 139. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the winds of the morning and dwell in the innermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me." Dr. Gillen said, For as long as I live, Psalm 139 will never again be merely words in the Bible. Well, I've taken a lot of time to tell you that story, but it illustrates so much about psalm 139 it's not just how this chapter of the bible spoke to this man on this occasion although that's a remarkable story but it's how dr gillen gradually and almost grudgingly moved from being a brilliant scientist who was an atheist to being a brilliant scientist who came to the conclusion that the complexity of creation cannot be adequately explained outside of a biblical worldview well, the, the subject, the overall subject of Psalm 139 is how God thinks of you and me. The psalmist reviews four great qualities or attributes of God, and he investigates how these qualities intersect for our lives. The outline real, really is very clear here. The 24 verses break into four divisions of six verses each. Verses 1 through 6 focus on God's omniscience, and what it means to us. The Lord knows everything about us. Verses seven through 12 focus on God's omnipresence. The Lord is everywhere we are or can ever be. And now we're coming to verses 13 through 18, which has to do with God's omnipotence. God's power created us and designed our lives in advance. So let me read these verses from the Living Bible. Psalm 139, beginning with verse 13. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit them together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. It is amazing to think about. Your workmanship is marvelous and how well I know it. You were there while I was being formed in utter seclusion. You saw me before I was born and scheduled each day of my life before I began to breathe every day was recorded in your book. How precious it is, Lord, to realize that you are thinking about me constantly. I can't even count how many times a day your thoughts turn toward me, and when I awaken in the morning, you are still thinking of me. Wow, what wonderful verses those are. Well, there are three emphases In verses 13 through 15, David talks about God's creation of him. In verse 16, he stands in awe of God's agenda for him. And in verses 17 through 19, he rejoices in God's affection for him. So let's begin with God's creation of you. Here are verses 13 through 15 again. The English Standard Version says, "'For you form my inmost parts, You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. This says the Lord formed your innermost parts and knitted you together in your mother's womb. Job chapter 10 verse 11 says something similar. You clothe me with skin and flesh and knit me together with bones and sinews. Now we know much more now than David knew about the development of the baby in a womb. We know that at conception the baby's eye and hair color, his or her gender, and much more about this child are already set the entire person that this baby is going to be is already set at the moment of conception. By the third week, his or her brain and spinal cord and hearts and gastrointestinal tract are being developed. All of this is before a woman typically even takes a pregnancy test. By week four, the beginnings of a nervous system, skin, hair, And enamel for teeth begin to develop, as well as the foundations for the heart and for the lungs and for a skeletal system and much more. And by week five, the baby's heart is beating. And yet every baby that has ever been born and developed is unique. You are creatively distinct from every other person who has ever lived on Earth or who is living on Earth now or who ever will. Researchers estimate that over 100 billion people have already lived on this Earth, including the nearly 8 billion that are alive today. But there is no one like you, and there never will be. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. This is why Christians are such outspoken advocates for the protection of preborn children. The brutal and unspeakable injustice of our day is the savagery of the taking of these little lives and these beating hearts. David's point is one of wonder and praise at the complexity of the body that God had formed for him beginning in his mother's womb. And no wonder. Do you know that God gave you lungs that take about 20,000 breaths every day? Your heart beats about 100 times a day, and you have, this is almost unbelievable, 100,000 miles of blood vessels inside of you. 100,000 miles of blood vessels. Your liver, which is the largest gland in the body, performs more than 500 essential functions every day. Your tongue is covered by about 8,000 taste buds. You have more than 600 muscles, and ounce for ounce, your bones are literally stronger than steel. And here's something you probably didn't know. An average individual can produce enough saliva during his or her lifetime to fill two swimming pools. I haven't even talked about the human brain, but you get the point. One writer said, your body's parts from the largest bones and organs to the smallest molecules and cells are put together with a precision no engineer could design. Your body is able to do remarkable things, and it must do many of them nonstop and without your attention constantly, day and night. I've been reading a book that is a little over my head. It's by Dr. Marcus N. Emberlin, who is the former president of the International Mass Spectrometry Foundation. His book is called Foresight, How the Chemistry of Life Reveals Planning and Purpose. Dr. Emberlin contends that the science of biology is in the middle of what he calls a gold rush of discovery. He wrote, all of this new knowledge is exhilarating in its own right. At the same time, he said, I am now convinced that many of these discoveries taken together point beyond themselves to something even more extraordinary. This new age of discovery is revealing a myriad of artful solutions to major engineering challenges, solutions that for all of the world appear to require something that matter alone lacks. He said, I will put this as simply as I can. The rush of discovery seems to point beyond any purely blind evolutionary process to the workings of an attribute unique to minds, to foresight. Well, David knew that 3,000 years ago, God's creation of your unique and wonderful body is an example of his omnipotence. It is amazing. We are fearfully and wonderfully made, and that's what we find in verses 13 through 15. God's creation of you is unique. It's wonderful. Verse 16 goes on to say that God's agenda for you is established. He didn't just create you fearfully and wonderfully in order to throw you into random confusion and to disorganized chaos and to a useless life, he created you. And when he did so, he had an agenda already in mind for your life. Verse 16 says, you saw me before I was born and scheduled each day of my life before I began to breathe. Every day was recorded in your book. This is just about as close as I've ever come to having a life verse. I'm not sure where the original copy of my first living Bible is, but I can still see this verse highlighted in vivid yellow lying open on my dormitory desk. I found this verse one day in my devotions and I've never been the same since. It is wonderful to discover early in life while you're a young adult that God already has a daily agenda for you planned out for your entire life. Later, I found a New Testament verse that says essentially the same thing, Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I wrote about this in the book I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, Mastering Life Before It's Too Late. If God has planned each day of our lives, then we should wake up every morning saying, Lord, what do you want me to do today? Here is what I wrote in Mastering Life Before It's Too Late. The child of God never awakens to a day unplanned by heaven or unattended by the Lord. When the alarm goes off each morning, we roll out of bed knowing we have a divine purpose and plan and presence. There are no blackout dates on the calendars God keeps for our lives. There are no mistakes in His almanac. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. We are not on earth haphazardly, not products of primordial sludge that randomly came to life and accidentally developed into the complexity of who we are. We are made in God's own image, and he always operates with purpose and with passion, with peace and with poise. We are on earth today because God designed an individual plan for each of us to be alive at this particular moment, knowing in advance the impact we can have on a world that he loves. Since he is all-knowing, the past and the future are equally plain to him. We are, each of us, born on just the right day on His calendar. We will finish our earthly tasks at just the right moment in His will. He placed us on a planet that rotates on its axis by His command once every 24 hours, and He has correspondingly planned His will to unfold in one-day increments. While we do our best to ascertain what God has for us in the future, and plan our calendars accordingly, we wisely live in one-day increments. I wrote, Our greatest joy is to open each day determined to invest our daily allotment of hours doing exactly what God has planned for us, being about our Father's business. If we begin every day with a prayer for His will to be done as it's done in heaven, we'll end each day by bringing glory to him on earth, completing the tasks that he has given us. I wrote, this pattern, pursued for a lifetime, will enable us to finish the work God has given us at the end of our earthly lives and will begin our heavenly careers with his words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. The person who understands this lives radically different from those who don't. That's what I wrote in Mastering Life Before It's Too Late, and I believe it with all of my heart. So God's creation for you is wonderful, and his agenda for you is established. Finally, God's thoughts of you are continual. Verses 17 and 18 say, How precious it is, Lord, to realize that you are thinking about me constantly. I cannot even count how many times a day your thoughts turn toward me, and when I waken in the morning, you are still thinking of me. The Christian Standard Version says, God, how precious your thoughts are to me, how vast their sum is. If I counted them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I wake up, I am still with you. In other words, the psalmist said, Lord, even when I am asleep, you are thinking about me constantly, and when I awaken, you are still thinking about me. All night long as you sleep, the Lord is hovering around you, thinking of you, just obsessed in a sanctified way with his love for you. And when you awaken, there he is with all of his thoughts, his care, and his concern. Dr. E.J. Young in his book about Psalm 135 says, "'The thoughts of God of which David speaks are those which God has concerning David, thoughts which are constantly directed to him and which have embraced and do embrace the entirety of his life. These thoughts which have originated with God reveal how great God is. They show that he is truly omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent, It would seem that David is uttering his surprise at the power of the thoughts of God. The total impact with which they make upon him is that of strength. Well, we can find some of God's thoughts towards us in Scripture, which is the record of the mind of God. But His loving care for us and continual thoughts concerning us are beyond even Scripture. They are infinite, and David calls them precious. God's creation of you is wonderful, his agenda for you is established, and his thoughts about you are continual. All of the energy of his omnipotence intersects with your life and with your need and with your eternal purpose. And that is just the first three-fourths of Psalm 139. Next time, we will look at the final paragraph. Let me end with these incredible words from the hymn, O Worship the King thy bountiful care what tongue could recite. It breathes in the air, it shines in the light. It streams from the hills and descends to the plain and sweetly distills in the dew and the rain. Frail children of dust and feeble as frail, in thee do we trust nor find thee to fail. Thy mercies, how tender, how firm to the end, our maker, Defender, Redeemer, and Friend. Well, thanks for digging into the Bible with me. Remember to check out my book, Mastering Life Before It's Too Late, at robertjmorgan.com or wherever you order your books. And next week, Lord willing, we'll finish our series of studies more than wonderful into this tremendous passage, Psalm 139. This episode was produced by Joshua Rowe, and the marketing company of Clearly Media. Video audio editing was done by Courtney Warner. Print editing and blog posting is done by Sherry Anderson and by Luke Tyler, and music is by Elijah Rowe. Well, thanks for listening, and may God be with you until we meet again.